Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. In this episode, Nick showcases his favorite brushes from Purdy and demonstrates why they are foundational to his exterior painting processes. Happy Saturday, everybody. I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show where I use my almost three decades of experience as a craftsperson and a trades business entrepreneur to kind of show you what the life of that is and ask uh, to answer any questions. And, uh, you know, one of these, one of the greatest things about the Ask a Painter live show is that it is live. It's off the cuff and viewers in real time can ask and get answers to any questions, any topic, any sort of thing you want to know about. So today, uh, I love these types of shows. Uh, we are going nerd style on brushes. Uh, there's a lot of times I talk about job costing, entrepreneurship, marketing, production process, standard operating procedures, and that's awesome. That scratches a special itch in a lot of us people, but sometimes it's good to just talk about brushes, talk about paint, and the basis, the foundation of what we do. So today is a very special show. Uh, Purdy has asked me to showcase my favorite stuff. Purdy has been a staple of what I do for at least a decade, uh, almost 15 years now, and uh, I'm going to show you some of my things uh, that I consider foundational to what I do. But first, we're going to talk about the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. So as many of you know, I know and love this organization. I found out about it maybe five or six years ago. Uh, you know, we see it in all the magazines, didn't really know what it was, but I finally, uh, it was made personal to me by some people who were in it who invited me in and said, hey, you should check this out. You feel like you're a like-minded person. And I did, and it was absolutely awesome. And um, the PCA is an incredible organization with some of the most thoughtful, beautifully-minded people you'll ever meet. Now, we have painter's training. There is a robust native Spanish speaking, English version, tons and tons of videos to teach your painters how to paint. We all know that uh, labor is one of the biggest friction points that we have nowadays. And if you can have a ready-made resource that has been crafted by people with hundreds and hundreds of uh, combined years of experience in this trade um, to make videos for these people to help you and guide your training, that is a great thing. Now. One of the things that's gonna be launching very soon here is something very near and dear to my heart, which is the Business Accelerator. It is the pet project of myself, Jason Paris, and the rest of the PCA Board of Directors and the rest of the PCA. We have robust, robust painters training, but we also have to train the business owner as well because if we get these decent human beings, if we get these wonderful people into these painting businesses and the painting businesses are not professionalized, that there's chaos in there, these people will leave. And then there's gonna be the stigma about the trades, about, oh, there's a whole bunch of ragtag, Wild West, loose operating sort of people who don't really have their businesses nailed down and it makes our life not that great. So. <clears throat> to be master craftspeople and to be good trades business entrepreneurs, we need to do both. We need to go deep, deep, deep into the training, the so, uh, the coding science, uh, the theory of what we do. But also, we need to run a professional business so that we even have the opportunity to offer this to other people. That's a very important thing. Painter's training, business accelerator training, 
in-person events. Uh, next week, we are going to uh, Corey Leister's shop uh, for an amazing event with a whole bunch of awesome people. I don't know if there's any open slots yet. Uh, there's a link in the show notes here if you do want to attend. And then I shared a link for the events page of the PCA. There are tons of in-person events. We have been bereft of this for almost two years because of COVID and things like that. But now we are back and there's a ton of events coming. A couple of the ones that I want to mention are uh, the, there's a craftsmanship forum uh, this year. There's going to be a uh, a summer uh, paint by numbers event hosted here in Minnesota uh, by Jason Paris. I'll be there as well. A whole bunch of other people. It's basically the mini summer expo. If you, if you, if you don't want to wait to, if you don't want to wait till uh, next, uh, you know, uh, early 2023 to go to the big bang up expo, uh, you can certainly come to Minnesota and hang out with us. It is going to be an awesome time. Uh, you will not be dis uh, disappointed. I can guarantee you that. Now, another thing too, um, the the uh, season of master's classes has started again. We've got a whole bunch on the books. Uh, Sherwin-Williams Pro Shows are also back in person. Monstrous hundreds and hundreds of people. I will be at those presenting some master's classes. I will also be doing private master's classes around the country for people. We'll be going to the surf prep facility. We'll be going to see the Kuipers over in Nashville. There's a whole bunch of other ones that we're working around now. Uh, we started dancing around one in uh, Michigan as well, too, uh, for a yet-to-be-formed group of Michigan painters uh, that are near and dear to my heart. So if you want a version of Ask a Painter live in person for an entire day where I open up my business, open up my books, show you everything I've done, things that have worked, not worked, constant improvement. That was a pheasant over there. Uh, I, I can do this. I can come to you uh, and present this for an entire day. Uh, I have partnered with the PCA to do this. We can find you underwriting. All we need is a is a place with some chairs and a projector, and we can go in depth for an entire day. It's basically an Ask a Painter live show where you you've seen my screen shares of all my all my uh, spreadsheets that I make, all my data, all my analytics, things like that, and I come to you but I do a four hour version in person where you can interrupt me anytime you want and we can ask and answer questions like that. Uh, and then there's also some events too where uh, we'll, be, we'll be working on uh, some that are custom where we will do, we'll kick off the day with a master's class, but then we can either do a deep dive into that person's individual business or businesses or for the organizer, uh, uh, you know, uh, we can we can do a custom series of data, knowledge, all that other good stuff. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. All right, folks. I'm not going to delay this anymore. Purdy has given me the task, uh, as they do, uh, to say, hey, listen, you've been doing this for a long time. You've tried everything. Tell people what you use, how you use it, and why you use it. And that's what we're going to be here today. I have tried everything. I have, I mean, literally, there are some things that I haven't tried. We all know that because they're not even available to me in this area. But I love experiments, especially in the early years of my business when I was just trying to find my, my uh, fit. Where am I in the industry? What kind of coatings? What kind of finishes do I want to offer? To who? On what kind of houses and things like that? And very, very soon, I, I attack the basics of it. The coatings, the brushes, the tools, the things like that. Because I number one step in, in professionalizing your business is having a proven product. So what do we do? We, we attack the coating science part of it. So um, Purdy Brushes, we all know that they are uh, made in Oregon. Uh, I've actually been to that facility. It is an amazing facility, amazing organization. If you ever get a chance, I know there's people watching right now who have been there, probably a couple of you with me uh, in years past when we went to residential forums and things like that. But it is an amazing facility. If you ever get a chance, go up there. Um, there's a, on, on all Purdy Brushes, there's the metal ferrule right here, and it's nailed to a piece of wood that came from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, up there right by the Purdy factory. Um, 
It's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, they, they put a lot of thought into the styles of handles. And if you guys ever want to nerd out, go deep into the Purdy website. And there are tons and tons of different handle configurations like that for, for each different type of brush. And they are very personal. Uh, I know that I have my distinct preferences from using a lot of them. Uh, I can use them all, but boy, there are some that are just a pleasure, uh, a pleasure to use as well too. So um, one of the staples of Purdy brushes is uh, the flagging and things at the end. Um, a brush, a brush is made very useful and very effective when it's got some nice stiff bristles up near the top that hold its form, some flexibility in the middle, and then the nice soft ends. That allows you to get into all the little crevices, all the little open pores here. Uh, and there's a lot of thought that goes into brushes as well too. So, uh, and as you know, we all look for the stickers here. Um, they are hand signed by all the makers. Uh, some of us even have favorite makers on there as well too. So lots of fun when we do that. Um, so basis of exterior stuff. We are also going to do a counterpart show at another time for interior stuff. And we're going to go deep into that wall painting SOP. Again, I'm going to show you the science of how I cut. There's a, there's a particular way that I cut a ceiling line, that I roll a wall. It's not just put it on, move it around, things like that. But today's going to be exterior. So um, go to always the staple of exterior stuff is a, a, what I would consider like a, a super good production brush. So this is the Pro Extra Swan. Uh, this is a three inch, this is straight cut, and it's it's uh, it's the thicker version of the of the three inch. So you'll find in some other um, in some other versions of the brushes, there's a little bit thinner and a little bit thicker one. And obviously when we're outside, it's about production. We gotta take a heavy bodied paint and we gotta apply it to a surface that's probably a little rough. We're gonna be using a lot of muscle to get it on there and we want to get that paint on there and we gotta have a robust brush to do that. And this one holds a ton of paint. And uh, these, before we even get into that, I will tell you, these things clean up better than any brush that I've ever had. So a lot of times outside, we'll wash them out in a garden hose out here, we'll wash them out in a bucket, we'll, we'll salvage the water, whatever else. These things come so clean, so fast. They're just a, a joy to have. So thicker version here, I'm a straight cut guy. Uh, I do use angled versions of that stuff. Uh, I have a pretty hard bias towards straight cut brushes. Now, I'm open to the idea that 30 years ago, when my dad started me with this stuff, there were really no angled brushes. It was basically the straight cut brushes like this. So I, I'm open to the idea that I'm completely biased because this is how I was trained and I have a depth of knowledge in straight cut brushes. But I still, I still believe that for a, a couple of other reasons too, that I like the versatility of straight cut because it's basically universal. You can switch to either side of the brush when you when you take paint out of the can. You don't have to be um, you know, conscious of what side goes to the uh, wall. So thicker version, robust brush. It's also got the beaver tail handle. So when you're doing a lot of muscle work outside, the beaver tail handle, at least for me, when you're using it like this, uh, it, it really eases the uh, tension on your hand. A thinner handle, you, you gotta compress your hand a little bit and be a little more tense with your fingers. Uh, the beaver tail, which is a little thicker, more robust handle, it just tends to sort of uh, uh, lessen the tension on your hand. So there's a couple ways that we hold brushes for exterior painting. Uh, sometimes you can go like this to change it up, uh, just to give you a little more control. A lot of the times, you know, I'm, I'm using it like this, uh, a little more dexterity. And of course, there's times when you're below you or even above you like this, where you're holding the handle, you know, even like that, almost like a baseball or a golf club, something like that too. So, but either way, it gives you something to hold on to like this, and it eases the tension on your hand and your fingers uh, don't get as tired as they do. So yeah, uh, wonderful brush. And we'll do a painting demo at the end here, but uh, robust brush, um, 
the the Pro Extra line. Uh, they're they're obviously noted by their blue here. Um, a blend uh, a, a blend of Tynex, Chinex, and Oral filaments. So that is the uh, that is the Pro Extra line. It's a whole blend of all those things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I've used I've used a lot of stuff, people. And honestly, these things uh, I've used them so long I can't remember at a time where I used another brush. That's how long I've been using this. And again, you guys know I'm always open to trying new things, experimenting with new things, and I do. And I normally attack uh, things and people when they say we've always done it this way, but we've always done it this way, and I still experiment, and I've yet to find a replacement for the basically, you know, the, the staple of my exterior painting. So we'll give this guy a try on this old uh, rough siding here in a little bit. Uh, for trim, so you guys know and love. This is probably the most universal brush that I own. Uh, this is my go-to interior cutting brush and exterior trim brush. This is the Pro Extra Alasco. So Alasco, they give uh, they give them uh, names to signify a lot of things. Uh, the thickness here, the cut, uh, the length, the width of it there, and the handle, give or take. So instead of saying it's a two and a half inch straight cut long tapered handle uh, with a thicker uh, format. Uh, basically, they can just say it's an Alasco. And uh, yeah, it basically signifies that it is this brush. Now, what I like about this brush is, especially for the uh, interior side of it, you can really reach. You can grab the end of this here and you're not cranking away all day on a brush. So you don't necessarily need the huge beaver tail. When we're doing exterior trim out here too, it gives you a little more dexterity to kind of wiggle around in there. You can reach a little farther on exteriors and it almost gives you that pencil or pen feel where it's almost like a little more precision. I use a little smaller brush when we do um, uh, when we do trim and stuff outside <clears throat> because I like the, I like the uh, uh, exactness of it and things like that, especially when we're working with old sashes, things like that. We can really get in there and, uh, you know, precision and, and stuff like that. You can certainly, uh, you can certainly do that with some of these here, but in tight corners, like when we're on window sashes, uh, corners of trim, things like that, these things are super sharp and they, they come to a very sharp point. So again, one of the more universal brushes uh, that I've ever, that I've ever used like that, uh, the staple of my interior, but also exterior. Can't go wrong with one of these guys here. That there. Also for rough surfaces, masonry, like that behind me, the Pro Extra 3-inch will do well, but when you have a super rough surface, let's say we got stucco, we got masonry, um, we have some very, very craggy old siding like that, uh, Chinex Elite. Uh, these, uh, this uh, brush is made for a lot of those lower VOC, uh, newer age paints like that. They're very heavy bodied and they really need a robust brush. So we have Chinex bristles here and uh, when I do stucco, when I do masonry, things like that, these are my go-to. And what's interesting is that these do not wear down as fast as other brushes. They maintain their shape and they maintain their super stiff uh, character here. So again, the Chinex Elite, uh, there's a Chinex series and a Chinex Elite. Uh, Chinex Elite and the Swan, again, you're seeing the beaver tail, you're seeing the three inch wide, you're seeing the straight cut and the thicker profile. And these things are slightly noticeably stiffer uh, than the Pro Extra swans like that. And um, again, not a scientist, uh, but the Chinex bristles do amazing work uh, with those heavy bodied, you know, when you have paints like Loxons or masonry conditioners or something like that. Um, yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful tool. And literally it keeps that shape and you can really crank on that masonry and things like that. We'll give you a little demo there as well. Um, when we're doing decks and things like that, and we're using water-based coatings, you can certainly use uh, something like this or the Swan, the three inch, uh, those will do uh, water-based stains well, but 
I am still a fan of Elkid or Modified or Hybrid or uh, uh, some type of um, solvent-based deck stains. And when we do that, you can certainly use the Pro Extra series there, but there's a better option for that. Anytime you use an Elkid, uh, an oil-based, uh, 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 modified water uh, hybrid, things like that, um, a natural bristle brush is actually the way to go. So natural bristle, hog bristle, um, there's not really much of that left anymore, but natural bristles like this uh, are actually a little bit hollow and they actually hold more of that. So you'll notice when you use like um, any kind of nylon-y kind of brush with an oil, sometimes it has a tendency to flick a little bit. It'll do a good job, but it kind of flicks stain and splatters and things like that. These actually hold it a lot better, less drips, less splatter, things like that. So this happens to be the sprig uh, and the white bristle. They make a black bristle, white bristle, really uh, both, I've used both to good effect. Um, if, you, if I have to choose for aesthetic purposes, I just choose the old white bristle because it reminds me of the, uh, the hog bristle. But again, three inch, and uh, especially when we're doing decks, you don't necessarily need the big fat profile of a brush. This is gonna hold plenty of stain, and stain will go sometimes twice as far as regular paint out there so this stuff will hold it uh, they clean up very well and uh, it's just a better overall experience uh, to do that and i'm still glad there's natural bristle brushes out there uh, because they do make those uh, solvent stains uh, go on a lot easier so i'm going to go through a basic process of um, get these out of the way here the basic process so we have three kind of little substrates here uh, on this house that we're going to talk about there is lap siding there is trim and there's obviously masonry here. So before we get into the siding and trim, I think what I'll do is coat a little masonry because this is kind of brute force stuff, brute force stuff. But um, when you use a Chinex Elite like this, it really does help fill in those pores. So typically how I coat masonry surfaces would be um, on, a, on a historic house that's got some stucco or some masonry on it. We'll cut along the edges. Uh, sometimes we'll roll, we'll spray, we'll do some combination. It really depends on the style of the house, the trim, how close the neighbor's house is, things like that. But a lot of the times what we'll do is uh, we'll cut and roll for smaller little areas on masonry, like foundations on houses and things like that. And Parker, I saw your question. I'll get to these questions in just a second here. So when we brush, and of course, you guys know I use sprayers, I use rollers, all these other things. Today's about brushing. When you have to brush, this is the process here. So basically, um, I, I use regular paint cans uh, for my, uh, for my uh, service buckets. And we have a chain hook. And uh, I am a dipper and a wiper. I am not a slapper. So what is a dipper and a wiper? A dipper is I dip the paintbrush in and I wipe one side, tip it up and take it to the siding. Leaves you about, you know, inch, inch and a half of paint on one side. Other people like to kind of dip and slap it around inside the paint. Um, not bad. It does take longer than the than the dipper and the wiping. And also, I like to have a lot of paint in my can. I like to have more than three quarter of a gallon when I'm up there on the ladder so I can just keep going. And that doesn't leave you a lot of room for that. So um, I'm biased. And uh, I didn't know this was a contra controversial stance years ago, but it turns out with painters it is. I am a dipper and I'm a wiper. So we dip, we wipe, and then I turn the paint towards the house like this. And then work it in. And on typically something like this, what we would do is just come back and uh, roll or spray or spray and roll, something like that. So 
All right, for siding. Um, as you guys know, I'm a geek about this sort of stuff. There is only one way in my company to paint lap siding. And one of the principles that we uh, keep and hold dear in interior and exterior painting is keeping a wet edge. I believe it's one of the basic foundational principles of professional coating, which is starting and stopping halfway through a wall. Inside or outside is a bad thing because you could have a lap mark. It, some people call it picture framing, hat banding, things like that. But a professional will get the entire substrate coated in a way quickly, efficiently, where it will all dry together like that. So even when we have lap siding here, obviously if we were doing this house, we would start at the top. We would work in sections and work our way down. Uh, depending on the weather, depending on the coating, I would typically pick between four and five uh, uh, clabbers and then take them all the way across the house and kind of work in that format of going up and down like that. Same thing when we brush, same thing when we roll, same thing when we spray. We always, always, always want to keep that wet edge. So when we paint clabbers, uh, typically, you know, I'm going to start where I can reach, but typically, again, we would start at the top. Um, I do the borders first, then I do uh, one board at a time, the underside, and then the face of the clabbers. So how I would start something like this would be doing the edge. And when we do this, we always overlap about three quarter of an inch or so onto that other trim. There's another principle of this painting where you do want to complete everything 100% before you move on to something else. So typically when we do the clapboards, a lot of times people come right to this edge like this and leave it like that. But when you come back and trim, you might leave a couple open pores. So what I like to do is overlap overlap onto the actual trim itself because then when you come back with your trim paint like this if the edge is already sealed and you can just run your brush right down the edge like that and it's a lot quicker to do so i fill 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 these sort of things and so why do you do that um i've i've observed lots of people painting especially apprentices over the years and what i've seen is that typically if somebody's going to miss an area it's going to be that little joint, that little crotch right here where clabbered meets this, uh, where it meets trim. There's an underside, and you got to be really intentional about hitting that portion right there. So that's why I attack this stuff first. We'll come back over to this side right here. We'll do this border. Just like when we paint outsides of houses. I like to do a lot of the things that we would typically think of as the harder parts or the stuff that would be missed first. And then move on to the easier stuff. So hitting the edges, two more. And this is something that takes uh, apprentices a while to learn, but when you do start getting below neck or chest level, you do gotta get down and actually take a look at that to make sure you're hitting hitting those butts so then I like working super methodically where we do one lip and then one face at a time so we got a lip and especially with today's heavy body paint you can see even some nail holes and other things disappear stuff. It's one of the benefits of a lot of those heavy body acrylics, especially outside. I need a little more here. I want to fill in all these cracks. Yeah, even some nail holes like that can be filled in. 
Therapeutic. We got the frogs in the background. We got the pheasants out in the field. We got the red-winged blackbirds singing. It's a beautiful day. There's a pheasant right there. Boy, they're sounding off this morning. Paint is better than any type of caulking for that stuff. It's way more stable and it'll last longer. So if you can fill a minor hole or crack with paint, that's always better to do. All right. Nice. All right. Boy, that was therapeutic. That felt really good. <laughs> okay, so I'll set this guy down. Now for trim. Uh, then we'll get to your questions here. I appreciate all that stuff. So we're going to wipe the lip of the can here. So typically when we're painting wood sashes like this, I'm just gonna do a section for you guys. But when we do this type of work, uh, I typically work from top of the sash, bottom of the sash, inside to out. Uh, that's the way I like to do it. I like to leave the show face, the actual casing out here uh, for the end, something like that. So we move this out here. So just a brief, brief demo on that. Love, love, love the precision of the Alaska for this kind of work. Especially with old, old wood like this, the bristles are soft enough where the flagged ends can get in to the pores, but the brush is not wimpy. So it's got enough stiffness where you can really push around some paint here. when you take care of these things, they last a long time. So stiff enough where you, where you don't have to have a lot of pressure. You can see I'm almost holding it like a pencil here. And when you ride the bristles over these rough spots like that, the stiffness in the upper part allows the bristles to kind of like jab in there, but then the flagged ends manipulate to all those tiny little crags and things like that. So it's a, when you get the right brush for the job, it is a pleasure. And again, you can see a combination of good brush, good paint, and you can really, really, really fill in all that stuff. And on old wood sashes like this, typically what I do is uh, get the whole thing painted and then kind of uh, manipulate them up and down a little bit because you know we don't want to we don't want to glue them shut. And that's part of the thing of working with some of these old windows too, where the process would be. Um, paint them, move them up and down, leave them cracked a little bit. And then while you're painting during the day, kind of move them up and down a little bit. And uh, typically on historic homes, historic restorations, things like that, uh, we'll actually do another round of that before we leave for the day as well too. So, so again, working from the inner sash, working my way out, fill, 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 and I'm sure this looks as satisfying as it does to me, filling this old wood. Heavy body primer. And I'm just methodically picking off 
one little piece of this at a time and I brush one section, fill it in 100% before I move on to the next one. I'd say I could do this all day, but I do already. And it is joyous. You know, one of my guilty pleasures as a restorationist are these sills like this. So they are craggy, they are deep, um, they're beautiful, beautiful, old, old growth wood like this. Uh, Matt Billsma, this is uh, Sherwin-Williams uh, multi-purpose latex primer like this. I just happen to be using a old flex temp can <laughs> that I have here too. So uh, didn't take the label off this one. So like I said, guilty pleasure, craggy, craggy, craggy. A lot of people, a lot of people like to use epoxy to fill this up, things like this. Typically what I do is I take a primer like this and I slather this in here. I lay it on like putty. And uh, one of the uh, best things about a heavy body primer like this is that also uh, it penetrates a little bit too. So you'll actually see it get into those wood fibers. So this honestly is like my guilty pleasure right here. So I'm gonna do the front. And you can take something that's old and craggy and you fill it in and you basically just look brand new. It's just a glorious, glorious thing. All right, here we go. This is it. This is what I, this is what I live for right here. And makes quick work of that. If you have a wimpy brush or a brush with not the right bristle setup on it like that, it takes a long time to fill that stuff, but we've got a lot of paint in there. And you can just see this stuff just right into those cracks like that. Now, this is my standard process. You can see how some of the wood is starting to look a little gray stuff here. You can see where the primer starts to soak in. When you put brand new primer right there, it eventually soaks in. When you get the right primer like that, I do believe that it should soak in a little bit and actually bite and become part of that wood. Now, what I'm seeing here, is it's penetrating really well. It's actually filling those big kind of uh, almost eighth inch cracks right there too. So what I'll do is I even sometimes lay on a little more before I leave an area like that because any primer you can get in there is gonna help. And then of course, we do our casing. So this is where that, especially when you're cutting exterior, uh, white on white on primer is not a big deal, but if we were cutting an exterior color, again, wipe one side, inch of paint, put it towards the siding and let those bristles ride right over that stuff. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you can see nail holes disappearing, cracks, crags disappearing. And yes, it has something to do with the paint, the primer, but it also has something to do with the brush. And a good combination of those things is a wonderful thing. Man. That is satisfying. <laughs> Especially, a guilty pleasure is when you take um, historic home and we're applying primer, or when we do all in a, in a white like this. So bright, so shocking. When you walk up to a house on a farm, in the woods, something like that, especially with a color like a brilliant white, it's just such a shocking, interesting thing. I just love it. So, um, okay, uh, let's see here. I'm gonna go through, I got lots of, uh, you guys are talking about the, uh, the primer here. I got lots of uh, information for you guys. So let me go back and answer some questions and we're gonna get on here. So, oh man, scroll on. Thank you guys so much. 
And uh, stars are a new thing on uh, Facebook. Evidently, people can buy stars and they can do stuff like send me stars and uh it's a monetary it's a monetization of this stuff uh haven't really looked into it i see that people send them thank you guys and i will do something with those interesting when we accumulate enough of them so uh david we'll see you in pa uh let's see Lindsay, good to see you all right david da, da, da. oh thank you guys Ah, David sent 50 stars. Great. Like I said, I'm going to find some creative use for those things uh, when we do uh, accumulate enough. So Frank, fellow Minnesotan, good morning, my friend. Parker, how's it going? Ah, da, 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 da. Parker, since Purdy is not the cheapest brush on the market, do you think the extra cost is worth it? So interestingly enough, um, I think about people know that I really don't pay that much. All right, that's false. I pay attention to materials. I don't live and die by the cost of materials and coatings because typically, even when you buy ultra premium high-end paint, the most expensive offerings that the manufacturers have, it's really only going to be between 5 and 15% of all of your revenue in your company. So you want to you want to take care of it, but labor is always going to be your number one. It could be between 40 and 50% of all your money goes towards labor. The interesting thing is when you look at materials at 5 to 15%, I would consider sundries and tools and supplies as an even smaller portion. So people say like, hey, how do you account for tape and all this other stuff? And I'll say, we do and we don't. Uh, it's typically 1% or 1.5% of all my revenue. And honestly, cost of doing business. We buy good stuff. It's always there. Yes, we negotiate a good price and we do all that other stuff. But if you think that a, a line item on your profit and loss sheet, that's 1% or 1.5%, you're going to spend a whole bunch of effort of researching, finding new stuff, beating up your paint reps to get a good price. And you think that's going to make you profitable? It will not. There is low hanging fruit called labor. So I care about labor deeply. It's one of the one of the main things that I focus on every day. I do care about materials, but honestly, we got it down to a really good science. Typically, in a year, we keep our budgets between 12 and 13% on average for the entire year. Sundries, that's one of those things where honestly, we got other things to worry about. We buy the best, we use the best. It's a constant. We don't have to worry about a, 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 a brush not functioning, things like that. Um, we we have massive amounts of these things and they never go sideways on us and it's one of those things uh like a lot of the coatings where um we just depend on it we never have to think about it we get the best and we move on with our lives so parker it's a great it's more of like a headspace a business owner headspace thing like yes there are things that are expensive but business owners have no problem buying eight hundred dollars worth of you know, uh, Sanders and things like that at a drop of a hat or uh, spending $42,000 on a vehicle and then another $2,000 to outfit the back. But yet when it comes to a $16 brush, they got lots of deep thoughts about, oh, what a ripoff, things like that. Like we got to put our headspace and our effort and our burn our calories where it can actually get a return and make a difference in our business. So typically my theory is buy the best stuff, make sure it works, test out other stuff, but just buy good stuff. Uh, you're, you're never going to go wrong with good tools and equipment. So, all right, let's get down here to some primer questions. Uh, Eric Sowers, how's it going? Good to see you. Ah, Eric Sowers, do you not oil prime raw wood? Here's the thing. Um, I've been around long enough where I was taught um, always bare wood gets oil. It's still with cabinets and trim and other things we do. Now, interesting data point for you, Eric, which is this. Um, for over a decade, we did oil primer on every single exterior that we did. Every time there was a bare spot of something, we primed it with oil for that reason, tannin bleeding and things like that. 
The interesting data point is about four or five years ago, I started experimenting with water-based primers outside because we had one summer where we were doing massive amounts of barns, historic barn restorations, and we were still hand applying a lot of this stuff. And if you've ever tried to apply oil primer on an 86 degree day over a super rough wood surface, that is a near impossible task, something like that. It, it wears out your hands. You don't get very far. It's just backbreaking. Even when you spray and backbrush, it's like horse glue. We never had a, we never had a, um, a failure with it, tannin bleed or, or peeling, but it was one of those things where I, I was looking for constant improvement. So I gathered up the six most prevalent, well-known, readily available uh, water-based primers, and I tried them out. And guess what? I found one, well, actually two, uh, one favorite one, that uh, we've never had a tannin bleed and we've never had a failure. And we actually use it on all of our historic restorations. So Eric, uh, I see your comment about why not oil primer with the tannin bleed. Here's the thing, every craftsperson bone in my body, especially uh, trained in the traditional um, aspects of this, where uh, you always do that, especially with old wood, cedar, things like that, you always use oil primer like that. The problem is, in five years of doing that with uh, Sherwin-Williams uh, multi-purpose latex, we've never had one tannin bleed, historic, new, otherwise, and we've never had a peeling failure with it. So it goes against everything that I know uh, and I believe about oil primer, but you can't argue with the data, which is we've not had a failure. So we get increased production. It goes on much better. I believe when you look at stuff like this, I believe it actually penetrates a little bit better than oil primer. Um, it dries really quick. And um, it's just, it's so easy to use. And again, if we can get rid of solvents in our business, I am all for that. So Eric, listen, agreed. Oil primer, you will not go wrong with it, but it's hard to argue with the data on stuff like that. So Jesse Allen, how's it going? <laughs> Rick Mixell, I could watch paint go on all day, but I also love hearing those red wing blackbirds. Listen, man, we are, um, the last couple days, it's been 70, it's been sunny on the farm. I've been out here, we got the lawn tractor out, the chainsaw, the uh, all the tools, we're cleaning up sticks and doing things, and it is absolutely glorious out here. We are also treated to one of the most massive flocks of red-winged blackbirds ever, uh, every spring here. They come here, they hang out, we put out a little bird seed, they're doing their thing in the, uh, in the marsh over here, and between the frogs and them, it is just the most beautiful uh, summer morning. I was laying in bed this morning thinking about my show plan with the windows cracked open and uh, yeah, just listening to the frogs and the uh, red winged blackbirds and it is absolutely glorious. So Ray Ronnie, my good friend, good to see you. Uh, Matt Bilsma, uh, yeah, this one was uh, Sherwin-Williams uh, multi-purpose latex uh, primer here. So <laughs> David, <laughs> my hands are itching to help. Love restoration homes, absolutely, man. Uh, Mike Wells, what's your go-to exterior paint and sheen? We're in, in Springfield, Missouri, A100 exterior, typically satin. Um, we are a duration flat company up here, and we actually talked about it this, uh, I believe it was in the last show uh, as well too, but uh, there's gonna be shine differences and preferences uh, uh, different across the country. Like when I go down to Florida, everything is satin, semi-gloss, things like that, and that's fine, and it works really well down there. I do know that um, typically you don't see a lot of shine up here, we do have a lot of weird humidity, moisture, freezing stuff, and I've seen the same paint, but in two different shines, one peel and blister and bubble, and one not, same colors and everything. So um, again, just uh, anecdotal uh, information, but uh, something that you know I've seen over the years. So we prefer the flat, and, and it does really well up here, because we don't get that crazy sun-baking Arizona kind of heat and things like that. So 
All right. Uh, Matt Bilsma, Roger that. Thanks. Do you prefer latex primer or oil? Well, listen, I will always prefer anything that's not solvent-based, but uh, with our interior trim and cabinets, we still have to use that because we haven't found a water-based primer that is readily available, water-based, sticks to everything, blocks all tannins, dries quick, and is easily sandable like oil primer. So that's what we do. Chris Mole, my good friend. Good to see you. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Carlos Espinoza, no, no tannin. So just went through that long explanation of, listen, it should bleed tannin. It absolutely should bleed tannin. And I would still urge you guys to do scratch tests, tannin bleed tests, and things like that with your primers. But in five years of using this process, we have not had one instance where tannin bled through. So hard to argue with the data. Maybe I just got lucky for five years, but I have a feeling that uh, it, there's something more to that. So uh, Jesse Allen, I'm supposed to be mowing, but I'm hiding in the shed watching Excavating Live, too. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble with your family, man. Get out there and get your work done. <laughs> Frank, uh, do you ever use Peel Stop primers? And if so, what brush do you recommend for those? Yeah, absolutely. So I would actually use, uh, you can go back to the Chinex Elite, because uh, that stuff is a little bit thicker sometimes, but certainly a pro extra swan. Now, Frank, interestingly enough, most of my professionals up here in the upper Midwest love those clear peel stoppy, uh, sort of every, every manufacturer has one like that. Uh, sometimes they're even tinted and stuff like that. Um, they're fine, I've used them, but there is a, when this works and you've never had a problem, for me, taking a clear rubbery thing and putting it over the wood like that doesn't feel as good as having something that dries hard and crisp and penetrates the wood and things like that. Maybe I'm just an old traditionalist when it comes to that, but um, uh, I think it was maybe, I want to say seven or eight years ago when those first started becoming prevalent, I did an entire house with that. And we did have some peeling issues back then. Um, uh, it was one of the initial brands not associated with one of the big manufacturers. And I've experimented with all of them over the years and it's fine. And I know a lot of my pros use them, but I prefer the traditional acrylic, the oil, pigmented, heavy body primers, things like that. So not wrong. It's just something where I just don't feel a big enough need to switch to any of that stuff. So uh, I, oh, Travis, I know the series of substrate is perfect for the show with the different types of masonry. My question is, would you require your crew to prep these substrate differently or would you paint exactly? No, no. So this is, uh, this is actually, uh, uh, we have a series of farm buildings uh, on the Slavic farm here and you'll see me use them for different show things and proving grounds. Like I'm looking at a tin shed over there where I, I got to use an experimental galvanized primer and I did some up there and we watch it and we see how it weathers. Same thing with this here. This would be heavily scraped, heavily sanded to the RRP standard and this house has been prepped um, this is just an old farm building on my property. So this is sort of like I pick a little segment of it. I like this because it has trim siding and that, but no, there would be other prep here. And this is just a proving ground for, uh, in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be going through my exterior SOP and actually go through every step of how I do this stuff. But today was just about the brushes and the application. So I just found a really cool place to have those three things for you to actually show you things instead of showing you a video or things like that. So especially now that it's nice outside too. So Mike McGrath, my good friend from New York. Good to see you. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. Jesse Allen, light blue label, multi-purpose primer. You are correct, my friend. Ah, Chris Mole sending those stars. I don't know what stars are. They're awesome. They might be worth money. We'll see in the future. If they are, we'll do something cool with them. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Mr. Hall, Andy, estimator Andy's watching this morning too. Uh, 
thank you guys for watching. All right, David, back to topic. Pretty brushes. You mentioned beaver brushes. Have you ever used it and where to use it? Um, beaver tail. Uh, beaver tail is the handle there. Um, they do actually have a badger fur brushes uh, as well. Those are for ultra fine finishing. Like if you're thinking about like shellacs, uh, violin finishes, piano finishes, uh, fine clears, things like that. I actually have some of those things uh, from Purdy. And uh, one of my favorite things to do on like a Purdy website is to get into the weird stuff, those little back channels in there and see what kind of odd little tools they have. And you can still find some pretty cool, pretty unique, pretty traditional stuff in there when you go back farther. So uh, yeah, those were for uh, the softer and the more natural bristles that you get are for finer and finer finishing. So typically, like even with the uh, white bristle natural like this, I would absolutely apply varnishes and stains and things like this inside. They're refined enough where you can get an awesome finish. But if you're doing something like a clock or a gun stock or something like that, that's more like a furniture that could even be polished. I would go for the softer and softer and softer bristles, possibly even like a badger hair. If you guys never tried one, you should just to get the uh, just to get the experience like that. So, all right. Let's see what we got here. Oh, estimator Andy, happy Saturday, boss. Same to you, man. Uh, do you guys still glaze windows, Eric? Yes, we do. Actually, a yes. I still love it. Um, one of the things that we're blessed with, though, is a uh, is a company called Hayes Window Restoration up here, and another young entrepreneur like uh, like me and like Jason Miller and Jason Paris, but it, he's a master at window uh, sash restoration. So. Um, we are hoping to partner more with him on our historic restorations this summer. We've actually just done our first couple exterior jobs here. We haven't bitten off a big exterior restoration yet, but uh, we're dancing around a few, and God, I hope we can partner together because uh, that's one of those things where when you get a pro like uh, Joe Hayes, uh, hopefully we can use him. But yes, uh, I regularly reglaze windows and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, uh, I still I still love keeping those traditional things alive like that. And I know like my friend Mark Johnston, too, uh, the historic restorationist from up here, he's all about building these things out of traditional wood he's all about glazing and everything else and i love that those things are still alive and that we can show uh and that we can show them um yeah, show the younger people those things so this is kind of a fun thing to do mike mcgrath you should get some honeybees so interestingly enough uh we actually have a uh scratch made restaurant down there with a awesome chef and uh he's been known to put his bee boxes out here so a lot of the times in the restaurant a lot of his honey will be from my farm out there and uh a really cool thing happened a couple years ago. Um, he got a weird batch of honey and it tasted like spearmint. And it's probably from some weird plant or something we have out here, but he even I think he even contacted the University of Minnesota Extension Office uh, that deals with pollinators and we couldn't figure out. But literally, this stuff tasted like spearmint. It was the craziest honey I've ever had in my life. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we got here. Frank, no problem, man, I appreciate it. Ah, uh, Carlos, I use Peel Bond on a, on a peeling house and got a lot of tannin. So again, there is, um, there's, people often ask me a lot about a specific product, a specific use, a specific application on a specific house, things like that. And that's fine. And we can answer that. But what I'm more interested in is the theories of these things. So for me, there's a theory between something uh, that goes with something like Peel Bond. Also, there's those um, coatings that you can put on right over glass. Uh, you know, that you can then peel away at the end of a job. Every craftsperson bone in my body rallies against the use of a, against the use of a water-based rubbery clear thing 
over a substrate and then using a harder form filming finish over the top of it. It just feels like anything water-based and clear is probably going to bleed some tannin. Um, I know there's instances where it doesn't, but then also when you put it even over bare wood, a, a, a clear rubbery water-based substance being your primer doesn't feel as great to me when you have other options. Also, same thing with this. You have hard, uh, a hard surface. You have old brittle coatings. You get a lot of them off. You put a, a, a clear water-based rubbery substance over it and then go back even with like a Sherwin-Williams duration. Duration is has some flex, is a little bit elastomeric, but not as much as a white water-based or a, a clear water-based uh, rubbery substance like that. So it's just kind of like... I don't know. I, I, I'm always hesitant to say stuff like that because I know they work well and I know a lot of my craftspeople, just like us, Carlos, in the upper Midwest, you're a Minnesota guy too. I know a lot of the pros up here use it and have an awesome time with it. So I'm open to the idea that I might be biased or that my experiences might be different. But again, when you have alternatives like this, I, I do this. I, this is my system of doing that. So. All right, Chris Mole, love the new mic. We can hear you great now. Yes, so this is goofy. This is really weird, but it is a super cool Rode microphone like this. It actually attaches here, and I have been experimenting for years with something. Uh, I do not want it to be like this, but it looks like a little pager attached to me. But honestly, it's uh, it's super clear, and uh, it works really, really well. So next, next up is increasing the quality of the video. Uh, so yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate that. All right, uh, Bo Graham, if solid staining, a raw wood, a pergola white, would you prime with this multi-purpose primer or just start uh, with the stain? Yes, so uh, if you're gonna use a solid color acrylic siding stain, I would just do that. I would just do that, even if it takes three coats. E um, a primer still forms more of a finish than a solid color acrylic stain. And one of the innovations, the theory innovations that I've changed over the last five years of coating systems in my business is when we have wood houses, there's a lot of cedar houses up here in Minnesota. A lot of them have been painted and they peel. Sometimes they've only been stained and, they, and the client wants them painted. We are, we are now using way more solid color acrylic stain, which is basically a paint, a thinner paint that penetrates, but gives you a paint-like look instead of priming and painting because in the upper Midwest, it just seems to be a thing where if you take a house from the 70s or 80s with cedar siding and it's got a little bit of peeling and you and you it's not an RRP job, so you can wash it and you scrape it and you sand it and you spot prime with oil primer and two coats of a really good acrylic exterior top of the line paint, you still sometimes get peeling like where it shouldn't, sometimes even over the prime spots. So what my theory was, I think it's a lot of film. Those, those are very heavy bodied paints. And so what we did uh, about five, six, seven years ago, we started experimenting with just, hey, let's just do two coats of solid color acrylic stain. We'll get the same effect. And the theory of, of the solid color acrylic stain is that it will, oh, another pheasant, uh, in that it will fade before it peels. And a paint typically will peel before it fades. So that's how I think about those things. So uh, Bo, it's a lot of work. Pergolas are a massive amount of energy and time. I would experiment with a very, very heavy bodied, opaque, solid color acrylic stain. You're gonna find a lot of them that are kind of wimpy, that penetrate, and you're not gonna build that finish. It could take two, three, four, five coats. I would find one that's heavy enough where it where it fill where it builds a nice, you know, a solid opaque substrate, but that one that'll only take you two coats too. And uh, I would go brush, I would go roller and spray if you can as well too. That would that would help as well. So Bo, good luck with that. Pergolas are not easy, man. 
Uh, <laughs> Seth Hotstetter, oh, thanks a lot, man. You tell everybody. Oh, right now, guys, do me a huge favor. Just share it. Just hit the share button. You can like and follow Ask a Painter if you like. You can leave me a recommendation, but honestly, the kindest thing you could do for us is just share. Uh, we got to get more like-minded people like this so that we can uh, professionalize this industry uh, and give our clients better better, uh, uh, better services. Uh, Jay Skeens, how does the duration flat hold up when it pertains to washing down and cleaning? Great, really great. Um, I have about three different... Oh, the geese are flying away. That's awesome. Uh, I have about three different uh, Sherwin-Williams coatings on the outside of my house. We've kind of done it as a, as a test ground, proving ground. There's rain refresh, there's flex temp, there's duration and all this other stuff. And it does really well. But just like when <laughs> pheasant too, man, the wildlife is active out here today. Um, just like with cabinet finishes inside houses, um, people say, well, how's, it, how's it hold up? How's it wash up? Is it, is it chip proof? Say, well, listen. If you take a metal pan and you whack your cabinet door, it's going to chip, no matter what paint, no matter what primer, no matter what process. Same thing with outside. Like, if you get one of those, um, we just call mud hens or whatever, mud birds, where there's uh, the swallows that build the little mud nest. Like, if you have a white house and you have this mud swallow nest up above a door and it's there for three years and you take it down, it's likely that paint is going to stain because the chemicals from that bird, they regurgitate mud and all this and that. If you have uh, vines and wasp nests and you have just dirt accumulation, it washes really, really well. But it's not perfect. It's not Teflon. It's not that. And nothing is. But on my house, I've seen between rain refresh, flex tap, and duration. Uh, rain refresh actually does clean up really well as advertised. It's kind of cool because I have a white house out in the country here. My kids are known to make mud splatters and things like that. It does work. If if you're looking for a washable paint, uh, you you could go a lot worse than Sherwin Williams duration. Uh, it, it is a wonderful paint as far as that goes. So, all right. <laughs> oh yeah, David Badger brushes. Absolutely, man. All right, let's see what else we got here. Maybe a couple more questions. Uh, Matt Ormy, what solid color stain do you recommend when you're saying you would go over previously painted surfaces with solid color? Yeah, so if a house is, has a perfectly intact coat of paint, I would not go back to solid color acrylic stain. This is one where there's tons of wood showing or it's previously been stained or it had a semi-transparent or something on it before. Uh, then we'll typically go to that kind of stuff. But if, if you're looking at a house that, you know, 60, 70, 80% of it has paint that's still intact. I would still kind of go back to that paint thing uh, just to just to do a good service. But if you have to, uh, the Sherwin-Williams line uh, of that stuff is, is, is our go-to for that. So uh, for the exterior stuff, solid color acrylic. All right. <laughs> Jesse Allen, Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom out here, man. This is a wonderful time. It's worth it being here in the Minnesota winters, the solitude of the frozen expanse of the upper Midwest uh, to be here for when it's spring here because there's those bright green buds on everything. The creek is flowing. We got a pond. We got ducks. We got geese. We got pheasants. Um, all sorts of craziness happening around here. And, uh, yeah, the eagles are back, too. They've been, they've been flying around here. And, uh, yeah, it's been super fun to see this stuff. So, all right, everybody, thank you so much for watching. The kindest thing you can do is to share. And, listen, there's these star things, too. You don't have to send them. I know it costs you guys money. But if you do, I promise I will accumulate enough of them. And uh, what I've read about them a little bit is that uh, Facebook will accumulate them to a certain point and then pay out. I will do something really interesting with that stuff, and it probably won't be for myself. So uh, if you guys do send stars, something cool is going to happen in the future here. So thank you guys so much. Uh, David Catalyst, do you guys have asbestos siding in Minnesota? Yes, once in a while here. 
uh, Jim Davis, we use durations on our, on our exteriors and interiors. Love it. Yes, that's mine too. Brandon Lumby, how you doing? All right, everybody. Thank you to Purdy uh, for offering to underwrite this show, bring it to everybody, showcase these cool brushes and our processes. And uh, next week, I will be doing a live Ask a Painter live show uh, from Corey Leister's event over in Pennsylvania. So this is going to be awesome. Thank you, guys. Share the show. I really, really, really appreciate this. And you all have a good rest of the weekend. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.